from Camel Prescott Road, this is Stalking Art, a series about pairing and conversing with art thinkers and makers on how they ponder. On this week's episode, we're pairing one of our artists, Aditi Singh, who uses painting as a meditative process through which she communicates her affinity with the natural world with Anurag Khanna, an art lover whose incredible art collection Aditi is a part of. You know, the thing about painting is that the more you try to pursue it, the more you feel like it's receding from you. (laughs) What started off as a general chat between Aditi and Anurag on her work has over the past year or so evolved into an unceasing exchange on art, poetry and literature. Through this episode, Aditi and Anurag will bring to light some of the conversations they have had. Over to you, Anurag. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, So, Aditi, our first email introduction happened on 7th September 2019. And the first poem you sent me was on the 9th September itself called A Myth to Devotion by Louis Gluck. Since then, it's been a whole new world of introductions to the world of words and poetry. When did poetry come into your life? Uh, So Anurag, I was thinking that uh, I would like to kind of acknowledge this moment in time because I think we're also living in a time where the magnitude of this has to be acknowledged. And I wanted to read a poem out to you, which also kind of spells out, uh, you know, how poetry came into my life because poetry... uh, came into my life at a very young age uh, when I was in boarding school and uh, I was a very lonely boarder and poetry was my companion. So I remember carrying Vikram Seth's prose poem, uh, The Golden Gate, and, uh, you know, just living through that through my boarding years. But the poem I wanted to read out to you is by Mahmood uh, Darwish. It's called uh, Think of Others. And it goes... As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget the pigeon's food. As you conduct your walls, think of others. Do not forget those who seek peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. As you return home to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you liberate yourself in metaphor, think of others, those who have lost the right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself, say, if only I were a candle in the dark by Mahmoud Darwish. So to answer, to go back to your question, Anurag, I think I can answer it in three ways. So in boarding school, poetry was a companion. Um, in college, poetry became almost like a ritual. You know, I would wake up every day and I would just read a poem out aloud Uh, you know, outside the window uh, to the trees. And it was my way of also kind of communicating to the larger world that, you know, I'm a presence uh, through poetry, through language. And now I think poetry is simply read for pleasure and sharing it with people 
who embrace language, not just uh, in word, but also in image. It's unbelievable. I carry something from you every single day. Now tell me what a normal day is like for you. So normal day again starts with rituals. I'm very much, uh, I'm very obsessive. I'm very OCD about them. And I have been for a very long time. Um, you know, it starts with lighting a lamp, lighting the dia, and uh, then sitting in uh, meditation for a while. It's again a practice that I carry forth from my college days. Um, I've been very interested in uh, theology and uh, uh, spirituality. And it started with an introduction to Zen Buddhism through my teacher who was a ceramicist in college. And, uh, and Zen, because I was, I think I was just drawn to how he kind of distilled all the unnecessary. And the, I was very drawn to that aspect of just bringing things or bringing actions down to the simplest form where, you know, he would only say one sentence throughout class. And that was it. We just had to work with that one sentence. And that was the teaching lesson. And, uh, and though I struggled with it, I also learned a lot from it. So, um, so yeah, so every day begins with lighting a diya and then sitting in meditation for about half an hour. And uh, I wake up, I wake up pretty early. Um, I wake up because I like to paint with the first light. So I watch the light come up, I watch the sun come up and, uh, and then just get into routine of, you know, waking up my daughter for school, uh, getting her started online has been hell. Um, and then, uh, and then just coming back into my studio and continuing with uh, practice till about lunch. So however, I'm very disciplined when it comes to just being in the studio, even when I'm not working, because I think even those moments are quite vital when you're not doing anything, you're just sitting and you're just looking at my books or whatever I'm doing. So, yeah. And what about you? How do you, how do you begin your day? Uh, my day also, I'm like a very early riser. You put me into the practice of meditation. There's so many things I'm learning from you every single day. Uh, once my meditation is over, then it's normal quick breakfast, work, uh, children routines, very normal day. But whenever I get time in between, it's art books and art reading. That's very important. So, you know, I, I've realized the fact that at times when I'm stressed, if I just read a page of an art book that's on my table, it just de-stresses me completely and I'm like back energized. So. That is something I can't leave uh, doing. So wherever on my table, if you see me sitting anywhere in my car, anywhere, you'll find some art book around for sure. But anyway, I'm supposed to ask you questions. So I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to go yes, on with yes, this. Yeah. So coming to your work, one important aspect are the horizons. Uh, the horizons you paint, you said you paint one daily. Very so much. when you travel, you carry the paint and paper with you always. Very interested to understand this side of your practice. What made you start painting them and almost like a ritual always for you? Yes. You know, I say that I started painting the horizon line when I, uh, when my uncle passed away in uh, 2014. But it was actually much before that uh, when I think about it. I think conceptualizing the horizon line and why I was always drawn to it began uh, very early when uh, it just became something where uh, you know, there's a line um, in the Upanishads, which has stayed with me, um, you know, since college, which is uh, as above, so below. You've told me that. And, uh, and I never kind of understood. I like the rhythm of it. I like the way it kind of falls. But I never understood this, I think, uh, visually until I started drawing the horizon line. Because for me, it wasn't about a partition or a separation. It was acknowledging unity, you know, of the elemental. 
and uh, and finally it kind of came together so i may say that you know it, it physically the horizon line came into my life and came into my work um 10 years ago almost but really it's been something which has been ongoing in the subconscious and i finally form found a form that speaks to it and uh, yeah so it's it's about unity yeah you know i see this i see it as like a melody yeah. you know the way the music is written the notes yeah. i see it as notes if i see your yeah. show they seem like notes to me everything seems like flowing one into the other absolutely that's how it is yeah. so you're so sensitive to life tell me nature and everything around you are you a good cook do you cook uh, well yes but i'm a cooking? very intuitive cook i don't i've never looked at a recipe in my life i just kind of throw things together and uh, you know just by sensing how things kind of are in balance with each other so uh, that's how i cook i i cook quite a bit especially during the last two years i think i've just been um enjoying that and it's also very therapeutic because it requires kind of you know the smell it requires a different you know sensory note in your life it's not just about the hear it's about the smell as well so uh you know just engaging the senses is something yeah. that i'm always uh, kind of drawn to be it through music or uh, you know reading and looking at cinema all of that i think music plays a really important role in 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 how i understand abstraction um, and how i've uh, built on uh, you know in my own work yeah because music for me uh, speaks about elasticity you know elasticity which isn't always visible and it acknowledges the invisible in such a tangible way you know you can't you just moved you know there's no kind of looking for meaning you just moved yeah you know that's another question i had your your mom introduced you to sitar she would play the sitar or something you've told me yes. that before yeah so did did that instigate music in your life that is where the starting point was you hearing her play the sitar very much very much my mother has been playing the sitar for 45 years now or before that even she too went to boarding school um and that's where she started sitar and i think it just kind of grew in the subconscious you know waking up and listening to the tanpura or the sitar and not always like loving it because she used to start very early in the morning as a teenager you were like oh my god you know here she goes again <laughs> but now i just look forward to that opening up you know the minute she starts playing i oh. want to be right there you know i am right there so yeah. very much I always say that you know this instigation that happens in childhood that stays with children forever it's like you know your mother sprayed a perfume on you I always yeah. say that you just like introduce them to a little bit with your children and then something they pick up something they don't they if they don't like it they'll just sort of move on with it but it's always yeah. nice to yeah. sort of throw something and take it back it's like throwing a ball and then catching it back again So tell me something how was your life in the US you studied there you always talk so fondly about your time in the US friends galleries artists you saw yeah. so curious to know what was happening when you were there So the US I did my undergrad in Chicago and then masters in Philadelphia and in between I was working in New York for a gallery and just getting to know I knew nothing about Indian art when I first went to the US um you know i was a scholarship student studying political science and economics and all of you know what good indian students do and then um and then i met a wonderful teacher who gave me uh, rilke's book letters to a young poet and you know it was like the world collapsed on me and from then on i think i just went around seeking teachers who would just keep expanding that language that i couldn't really form but i knew that 
it meant something to me and trusting that and i think us uh, the life there was in some ways so solitary and because you know i started doing art and i wanted to like kind of i felt like i had a lot of time to make up and just keep drawing so i spent a lot of time alone just learning the craft of drawing um which made me also yearn for you know good teachers so i met uh, you know i remember in 2001 i met zarina hashmi in california she was having a retrospective at mills college and at that time you know no one if you said zarina to anyone in india you know back in the day in 2000 you know 99 people were like okay zarina you know uh, but i saw the retrospective and i just could not move you know it was just it was one of those moments where you just wanted to sit down and weep and i think i must have as well because i remember mary ann um, coming she was the curator there and uh, telling me that you know you've got to if you're so moved you've got to have a relationship with her and when i moved back to new york i met zarina and spent uh, many years with her you know a few years with her before i moved back and uh, and she was a wonderful teacher i think uh, her kind of invincible generosity um i carry with me every single day so uh, yeah yeah that was exactly my question next to you that your relationship with zarina i remember the day she passed away you painted a blue flower for yeah. her i saw that painting as well that stays with yeah. you so i was always very curious what kind of relationship you had with her she was more like a mentor teacher or more like a friend sort of just catching up over coffee tea or she was more like an old aunt you know <laughs> we both uh, you know she because i'm from lucknow and okay. she's from aligarh and we both mm. had this kind of and her husband was in the foreign service and my uh, you know my whole family is in diplomats and my father was in the administrative service so we had a lot i felt like you know we had a similar language of coming from a place which was very old world in one sense you know lucknow if you go to lucknow it's like in a time warp you know we get people yeah. for saying that but yeah it feels a little like uh, you know it's it's very old you know there's this feeling that uh, uh you know all things exist together and they continue to exist together the past the future you know i don't know what place the present has but certainly the past and with zarina we you know we could talk about poetry endlessly endlessly we would uh, it wasn't like i op- she opened the door and we would talk about like you know how are you and what not we would talk about adrian rich from the moment she opened the door or we talk God. about like the sufi poet we both like So it was just like you know it wasn't, and we would just go down and have dinner at her favorite Italian restaurant. Uh, I'm sure Ram Rahman will know this well, uh, you know, right across from the street. And there was not a single time she allowed me to pay, even though wow. you know I was earning and whatnot. And not once, not once. So yeah, like a grand old aunt. Old aunt, yeah. You know, you you mentioned Rilke's book yeah. coming to your life at 18. it came to my life at 45 so now i see the difference yeah. between your intellect and my intellect <laughs> there is a huge difference no 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 <laughs> anyway coming back to your practice you often talk to me about the ink and the paper in your control and not in your control the idea how nature takes its own course tell me more about this how you plan the work the paper the ink the moment and that builds on its own so in one of your texts you mentioned to me in the emails we think we draw images but often images draw us right right you know um, anurag i i am drawn to nature because i think it speaks of transience in a in the most immediate way and uh, and i think uh, building on that is so very hard and i think i chose ink as a medium 
for those same reasons because it feels like uh, you know I feel like it, it kind of encapsulates that kind of immediacy you know and transience at the same time you know the minute it touches the surface it just kind of transforms it and because I'm so kind of particular about the different kinds of washi uh, paper I use you know from one gram to the other it just acts so differently so in every conversation that I have with ink on different kinds of paper, I feel like my hand is just stretching. You know, the language that I use uh, through painting, you know, is, is stretched. And I think that's also one reason why I work monotone. And, uh, and it wasn't always so. When I first started, I worked in oil, you know, just oil. And all my palette was just like heavy color. But as I realized what the medium can do, it just kind of, it became, I wanted to distill it. And it also goes back to what, uh, you know, my Zen teacher told me uh, is that, you know, you take out all the unnecessary. And I think in my way, just to learn the craft, monotone kind of allowed me to do that. And ink as a medium, particularly because it's so kind of ruthless and it's, uh, you know, you can't control ink on washi. It's very, it's, it just wants to, you know, have its own say. So you have to know very clearly uh, which direction you want to, you know, want it to go. But it's a real push and pull. And there are times when, you know, I just kind of leave it and say, you know, do what you have to do. Yeah, I, I, know, I know a lot of painters who paint with ink. They always say that you have to control even your breath because nothing can go wrong. Basically, yeah. you have yeah. to be sort of so perfect with doing something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, those are, I think, all things that you learn along the way. There's something that is interesting that I want you to talk about. Uh, we were talking about, remember, posturing on Instagram? Yes, uh, very much. And you mentioned about your visit to 192, the bookstore, yes. and meeting Paula there. I yes, want to listen to that Paula story Kuka. again. It's so interesting. Yeah, tell us about it. Oh, that's a lovely, lovely yes, uh, moment. Exactly. You know, I was working, I remember, at Bospecia, and it was late at night. Cross the book, you know, cross the street to 192 books and uh, just kind of sitting there and looking and, uh, and, uh, and Paula, I think I just started the bookstore at that time and we just got talking and we talked about John Dard and we talked about uh, Carl Andre, we talked about Nehru, we talked about music. So it just became this ongoing conversation. I had no idea who she was. Uh, you know, it was only later that, you know, she introduced herself. Hi, I'm Paula. You know, and it's uh, lovely to have this conversation. I remember it was raining a lot at that night, which also kind of lent itself to the atmosphere of the conversation. You know, she she wasn't in a hurry to go anywhere. <laughs> Neither was I. And I wish uh, I wish these encounters, uh, you know, would be um, would be prolonged in some other in some other way. But yeah, yeah. I remember you mentioning that she asked you, what do you do? And you said, I paint the midnight or something. I remember. So vividly yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, another big influence in her life, Give Patel. Tell me more about your relationship with him. I remember all the months of lockdown. He came for your show. Yeah. He was stepping out of his home after months for you. Yeah. We've talked about his clouds for hours. Uh, I want to hear yeah. it all so Gave and I first uh, met back in New York. Uh, we started corresponding when he was showing uh, with Sudhir at Bospecia. And uh, and immediately I felt that, you know, we were talking about like work, uh, about the gallery and whatnot and about his show. But there I felt like there was a camaraderie in language. Uh, you know, we started talking about poetry very kind of organically. It wasn't something that, uh, you know, it wasn't something that we thought about. 
and from then on i think uh, he came to new york we met um we, i came to bombay and he was kind of the first i didn't know anyone in bombay when i moved because i was 17 when i left the country to go to the us and 30 when i came back and i didn't know a single soul in bombay except shireen and give and give thankfully was right across the street from me you know i wanted to get a home where i you know i could walk to his home at least uh, you know have some someone to talk to and uh, he gave me i mean he had so many life lessons i don't even know where to start but i think uh, give is for me uh, just lightness you know the kind of clarity authenticity and uh, you know what he has just in his being and uh, and it comes through in his painting i mean he, he's uh, paint and him are inseparable when it comes to the kind of gravity and lightness he has yeah i find him so pure yeah, yeah. purity and just uh, an honesty you know there's never any posturing there's never this it's always simplicity you know the simplest question even if it's on say ramana maharishi it's someone we talk about given i have had many conversations about spirituality uh, as well and i remember ramana comes up uh, a few times and uh, and he says you know you know silence too is a conversation and uh, and there've been many studio visits with give where you know we've just start looking at painting and we know that you know not saying anything is as valuable as as talking about a work and i love the fact that there's a painter in my life who acknowledges that silent moment that it's uh, you know it's it doesn't have to be descriptive it can be quiet hmm. and it has its place in the world you know it's unbelievable aditi every time you're finishing your answers to the question that i already have in my mind which has to be taken next to you so there's a natural flow which is coming i think from some connections we have with yeah. each other or i don't know how but uh, trust it <laughs> exactly i do always yeah. my exactly my next question was silence yeah. is so important to you and why so did did this silence come into your life very early in age or or it's always with spirituality over the years very you become early. more involved very early i think it is just you know i had a difficult childhood and i think uh, i was always more uh, inward looking but i think just having art as a medium as i was telling you earlier you know the uh, the scholarship the american scholarship came but it came with a, a lot of strings of you know studying economics and what not and when i decided to do art there was a lot of like uh, apprehension in the family that what are you going to do with the art uh, and i just felt yeah. that this is it there's no question in my mind and i remember teaching at uh, pen and one of my students was asking me should i do this should i do that and i was telling her that if you have a question about what you can do then you know you can do anything but if you when you don't have a question that's when you should pursue uh, you know art because it's not for anyone it's not it, you need nerves of steel for this you don't need just you know you, you can't be oh, ambivalent uh, about why you want to make art it's it has to be crystalline there's nothing else you can do and uh, you know for someone who had never even picked up a pencil to draw at 18 you know everyone questioned me but i i didn't question myself i just trusted it yeah what's meant to be is meant to be yeah. you mentioned reading letters to your daughter uh, tell me tell me more about it what kind of letters you guys read to each other read together when did it all this start with your daughter so we you know my daughter is uh, she loves to read but she also has a very uh, she very much a mind of her own so nothing they you know well tell her read read to kill a mockingbird it's a classic and what not of course that's the last thing she'll do so so then i would just kind of pick up a book or any random book 
from the bookshelf behind me and I would start reading aloud. And, uh, and that kind of got her interested in the whole, uh, you know, reading aloud can also be theatrical. It can also be fun. And so, you know, it's something I wanted. I wanted to do something with her together as a parent, you know, and listening to music, doing dance, all of that kind of is fun, but it's not something which kind of, you know, sits inside you. So, um, and she said, yeah, that's fun. I said, you know, let's read letters out uh, aloud. Uh, it can be anyone, you know, W.H. Auden writing to Louise Allen. It could be Robert Lowell writing to Elizabeth Bishop. Of course, you know, she's 13. I don't know how much she gets of it, but she quite enjoyed the reading aloud. She liked the theater of it. And so, you know, she would read aloud one letter okay. and then uh, ask me questions about, oh, what is one art about? You know, she's talking about loss. Is she talking about losing everything? What is she losing? And I would say that it's about it's about how uh, things are always, uh, you know, getting left behind or, you know, you lose a lot in life. It is about loss. But it's also kind of affirming this kind of joy in losing and shedding. And she understood that, that it can be about shedding. shedding. It's not about always carrying your baggage all the time. Yeah, and you can't true. leave it. Yeah. She's a blessed child, I must say. I mean, not many parents would introduce letters to their children to read aloud with each other. It's rare. I think it comes from certain intellectual families. And I'm less happy to send them to you too. <laughs> I would love to read them to my daughters any day. I still try and do a bit of it here and there. But it's quite interesting. Yeah. Anyways, now tell me something. Once you said, you know, uh, I don't want to depict or describe. I just want the work to be a seeking. It's something that's sort of, you know, it just touched me immensely when I read that email from you that your work should be just seeking. You're not here to answer questions or, you know, sort of start thinking that it is this or this form and that form or it resembles something like that or something. Yeah. It's just seeking. So what does one as an audience seek in the work? What they wish to seek? I think uh, I think perception is always shifting, Anurag. And uh, you know the thing about painting is that the more you, you know, it's like uh, you know a thrush singing in the wilderness. And the more you try to pursue it, the more you feel like it's receding from you. And I find that uh, you know if you try and name, if you try and grab something too hard, it'll kind of slip away something. Especially like something like looking at art. You know, why do we look at art? I think the questions have to come from each individual viewer. Uh, you know, I might say this is the horizon line, but I'm thinking about so many things, you know, from Fred Sandbach's thread that I saw back in India to, you know, to the Upanishads. So I'm bringing my own kind of reading into why I'm making it. And I would be very happy, you know, if a viewer walked away with, uh, with adding to that, adding to that story. You know, like for me, my, my daughter always says that the horizon line to her is about just, uh, you know, looking out a window where you'd always find the horizon line, you know, no matter where you are. So for her, it's very physical. It's a physical space. And for me, it's a very kind of, uh, you know, it's a space uh, within and, uh, and outside as well, but both. I'm very curious. You live in Bombay and you hardly see the horizon from the buildings that must be around you. So it's, it's always with imagination that these horizons are coming across or it's because you're traveling whenever you travel with family into the forest and things that you're able to see the horizons that stay with you. It's, it's very strange to live in Bombay and think about horizons all the time. Yeah, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, I think the horizon, I, I walk, I walk a lot. Um, I also, um, you know, trek sometimes whenever I could before, you know, before COVID. So I think, uh, you know, 
the physical aspect of a horizon line is one where I am documenting the color that I see wherever I'm traveling. And then, of course, the internal horizon line is another, which is, you know, what I've said before. It's, it's more about like, you know, a vibration, really. And uh, it's about holding on to something which is outside yourself. And yet it can be something that, you know, your eye can rest your eye, where, you, where your eye can rest. So I think for me, the horizon line is also just a place where I can, uh, you know, calm the eye because I think I also, one gets very stimulated, you know, even while working, your eyes like constantly working. So I think, you know, when I close my eyes, I always see the horizon because I feel like that's where I can rest. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So beautiful. And just tell me one or two interesting artist in India that you sort of admire, they might be your peers, your seniors or some outside, I'm very curious to know who sort of, you always like, oh, that's the one that I want to go and see or look at or think uh, about or read on. I like Sosa Joseph's work. I've been thinking about her work. Um, I like the way she kind of just leaves these washes of paint, you know, suggestion of form rather than kind of delineating it very clearly. I like her work. You know, I must add something here. This is so interesting. Uh, I'll just interrupt no, no, you here. My daughter, a few days ago, we have a painting of hers at home. It is in the living room and she sits across on the dining, on, on one of the sofas and says, Papa, this, this painting is very scary. It doesn't have faces and things like that. So uh, I don't know what to make out of it. It was If it was in my bedroom or something, I would not be able to sleep. So that's the moment I realized that, you know, what Soza is doing is very interesting. That even if a child who's 12 years old is having sort of a reaction with all the other art around at home yeah. with that work, whether it's in a good way or a bad way, it just shows the strength of the work. But yeah, carry on with the other artists. Soza and who else? Um, I like um, uh, Bhuvnesh and Ritesh. Uh, they're both sculptors. And and I like the kind ah. of playfulness they both yeah. have in the, in the way they kind of look at form, the density, the lightness, the solidity. You know, all of, the, I think they play around with how liquid space can be. And I like that about, about and I like them as people yeah. as well, yeah. so like them very much and outside who would you sort of admire in the west or something that you really like really think of oh this is what uh, it is who have i been i've uh, agnes martin i remember you've been talking so much to me yeah. all the time agnes martin and i've also uh enjoyed looking at uh, uh georgie o'keefe's work i think partly because in chicago where i went to school her you know her work was there in museums and everyone said it was decorative and it was this and that and you know, she was almost like not part of this big canon, this big Western canon. And over the years, in the last 20 years since I've been out of school, you know, it's it's uh, her work has just kind of grown in my imagination. And I, I think it's also grown in, in the art market. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, going back and reading her letters, um, and I'm just astounded at the similarity between her and Agnes Martin. Uh, because there's this kind of like, real resilience really? of, uh, oh my god i'll send you a couple of letters that agnes martin wrote to her gallerist and uh, uh georgia o'keefe wrote to alfred stieglitz and the similarity in their tone and their you know in how they kind of distill things distill thought what they're looking at leading a very kind of complete but incredibly lonely life you know where you're doing everything and yet there's such a sense of like um you know, everything being held together and such precision, you know, such precision of life. Um, I just admire that. I admire that they're so, uh, that they're able to uh, take out everything, 
that they want and they can just live with the you know what speaks to them and um, and there's no fear there's no fear in that there's only no and it takes a lot for someone to do that you know the moment you decide that you need to just let go of everything and just be with what is essential it takes a lot to do it uh, i remember you telling me that in 1995 you saw one of her shows where nobody was there no the show agnes martin yeah. was like really nothing you know i mean it was just another um, yeah it was uh, there was no one there even hilma of klimt i remember seeing her work back in the day and uh, the gallery was empty the gallery was completely empty we were in the west two years ago and i saw the work at one of the museums and i was really wondering that what this work is all about and how it was all hidden for so many years and nobody even bothered to think about it and it's just so complex you know there are such small paintings that i saw and then there's so much going on in them it's unbelievable yeah i remember when i used to talk to my friends about the uh, you know her her work and everyone said that oh you know you like very obscure art wants you looking like like you know helen frankenthaler or you'd want to looking <laughs> at like elizabeth murray who was also very big in chicago uh then uh, mitchell what's her first name i forget john mitchell john mitchell yes yeah. mitchell yeah and i and i like their work you know and i can't say that yeah. uh, you know i am not uh, engaged by where they go but they they bring a certain other kind of movement you know they bring a very muscular movement of painting but i think that you know over the years i've realized that i i, I like very modest movement that can become the more you look at it it just keeps growing in the imagination and I've, it's been a long journey to that you know it's been a long journey of making a lot of paintings that are also very kind of muscular in that sense you know using color that is very visible and yeah, uh, i agree it's only when you do excess of things that you start filtering later on you know so it's it's important to go to the other side of the shore to start coming back again isn't it yeah very much and i think working with graphite and drawing drawing is always been very essential and it's it's a skeleton of my work uh you know going back to just carbon and you see you know graphite and uh, and making these really kind of intricate drawings uh, which you know i hope to share someday uh, which are which is it's just about movement you know and they and they remind me of leaves clouds actually if i think about it <laughs> you know this very kind of uh, crazy movement but just line just enjoying line and making it do different things absolutely absolutely any shows in the pipeline that's my last question for you really what do we look forward to next i think i'm looking forward to just being alone in the studio for years on end <laughs> and not and not stepping out you're so confined and happy in your own zone and situations yeah you know i want to take out the noise from my life in every way possible uh, both internally and externally so i'm going to work towards that that is the big uh, ambition and aspiration perfect so great it's been lovely talking to you thank you anurag is it wonderful talking to you thank you thank you so much like our letters <laughs> absolutely well it's been so lovely to hear about the friendship you guys have developed through your letters to each other and aditi well you started this episode with such a beautiful poem um is there one that you would like to share with us right now as we wrap up I love this poem it's just three lines and it says uh, I should not finish my poem what i have written is so sweet the flies are beginning to torment me that's it <laughs> amazing amazing thank you guys so much thank you thank you so thank much thank you thank you aditi thank you asna bye bye bye